0: America is prepared to stand with you in pursuit of shared interests and common security. But the nations of the Middle East cannot wait for American power to crush this enemy for them. The nations of the Middle East will have to decide what kind of future they want for themselves, for their country, and frankly, for their families and for their children. It's a choice between two futures. And it is a choice. America cannot make for you a better future is only possible if your nations drive out the terrorists and drive out the extremists drive them out drive them out of your places of worship drive them out of your communities drive them out of your holy land and drive them out of this earth
1: Donald Trump speaking at the Riyadh Summit on Extremism in May 2017. Promoting a reformation movement within Islam has been a preoccupation of European and American policymakers for almost two decades. As the argument goes, sections of the Muslim community have a predilection to violence that is justified by an extreme and intolerant reading of Islamic text. The prerequisite to create an inert ummah is for a European-style reformation movement to emerge that critically questions Islamic scripture and reclaims the faith from the scourge of extremism. This erroneous narrative has broad acceptance with the liberal left and the conservative right, differing only on emphasis and tone. Bush's ill-conceived notions of a clash within civilization and his winning the war on ideas rhetoric was indistinguishable from Obama's softer but equally maligned policy of countering violent extremism by cultivating a message rooted in Islam and using Muslim scholars and intellectuals to front this campaign. The intended aim remains the same, to provoke an Islamic reformation. A recent US National Security Council policy document leaked to The Intercept magazine reveals some in the Trump administration want to go a step further. Included in the proposal is a call for a Martin Luther-like figure to bring Islam into modernity. The Reformation began with Martin Luther's challenge to the Catholic Church and ended with the personalization of European faith. This process, known as the Reformation, ended with a secularisation of European society. The European experience of religious antagonisms has led many to believe that there is a need to sponsor so-called Islamic secularism. Many Muslims, some unwittingly, have echoed this call. The rise of ISIS in recent times has undermined attempts to return to an Islamic polity, with many Islamic groups blamed for stoking violence and sectarian hatred. This week I asked Osman Badr, an Islamic academic, speaker and writer from Sydney, Australia, to discuss the idea of secularism. Osman is a PhD candidate, researching secularism and its foundational assumptions, and I thought it would be a good idea to take a deep dive into understanding its roots and development in Europe. In future episodes, we shall take a look at the impact of the policy to secularize Islam upon the Muslim world and upon the Muslim communities here in the West. Osman Bader, Assalamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullah, and welcome to the Thinking Muslim podcast.
2: Wa, alaykum as-salam. wa alaykum as-salam.
1: And, uh Salam, Wa And thank you for joining us today. And. Uh, uh, I understand. I'm speaking to you on a Friday evening here. It's it's fairly late here in in the UK, but uh, but of course you you've just woken up uh, to a bright day in Australia. Is that is that so?
2: Yeah, that's absolutely the case. It's a wonderful day. There's not a cloud in the sky. Uh, it's a it's we're, we're moving into our spring time, so it's a, it's a beautiful day today. I think it's 27 degrees. It's going to reach, and yeah, it's it's early morning here. Alhamdulillah it's a pleasure to be on the podcast.
1: JazakAllah khair inshallah. And uh, now Osman I I've, I've uh, invited you in onto our show because um, uh, well firstly because uh, you know you, you are involved in in a number of uh, Islamic discussions uh, I suppose in Sydney Australia and uh, and uh, I've seen uh, some of your material and and you've been invited onto a number of podcasts and and shows uh, discussing Various aspects of Islam, but but also, I understand you are currently conducting research into the theme of today's show, secularism. Can you tell us a bit about your PhD research, please?
2: Yes, I've been doing. Uh, I've been uh, looking into secularism for a while now, uh, even prior to the PhD. So my MA, um, my master's in philosophy, was also uh, obviously there was a large research component, one four-year thesis that was also on the topic of secularity, secularism, we'll talk about that distinction. So, but yeah, the PhD is effectively on that topic. Um, it's uh, it's a bit more specific, obviously. Um, I'm, I'm trying to look at two aspects. One, the, this, the question of the conception of secularism, how it's conceived, what is it, in other words. Um, and number two, uh, in terms of the the way in which the political Form as a political form, secularism is legitimated. How it justified? Uh,
1: can you give us a quick, uh, a working definition? I suppose of of secularism.
2: Well, I mean, this is okay. When when I say that I'm looking at I'm looking at the um, the conception. I'm asking the question: What is secularism? Um, that should sort of indicate that there's not any particular working definition as such. Um, it's it's a it's a question that I mean we can given we can give a working definition but the whole point is previously certain definitions have been given and what this work tries to do is show why they're inadequate so for instance and I think this might be a beneficial way to start if we take a sort of a popular definition of secularism as um, separation of church and state right so this is something very commonly very popular secularism is sort of a political form of organization in which religion is separate from politics morality is separate from law or or, you know ethics is separate from law uh public is separate from private and uh, church is separate from state right various ways of saying it same sort of thing uh what 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 the work that i'm looking at does is sort of say hang on a minute to stop there that sort of is only on that that's accurate only on the face of it but if we interrogate this it sort of breaks apart because what you're saying when you sort of uh, when you frame it as a case of me separation institutional separation um you you're sort of missing the point that it it goes far deeper and you can actually show you can show it very easily so if we if we just start from this premise that it's in the separation of church and state or or it's you know we're trying to keep religion out of politics take it that way we're trying to keep religion out of politics well, straight away, what that means is if someone's doing that, if the government's going to try and do that, how are you going to do that? You're going to do that through legal mechanisms, right? Legal and political mechanisms. So that means you're going to have to tell us legally or you're going to have to define or mandate legally what religion is because if you don't if you don't sort of delineate what it is, how are you going to separate it, right? So that means you're going to have to define what it is. And as you define what it is, since religion is not one thing, Right, you know, we took. You got Islam, you got Christianity, you got Buddhism and Hinduism. All these things that are generally placed under the title of religion, but they're very, they're very different, right? And particularly from this angle. So when you're when when you're going to have defined define it, you're going to define it from a particular perspective. And already, as you do that, you are doing much more than merely separating, right? So the idea we get is. Although the claim is or the, or the the claim is one of me separation, or sort of uh, you know, this belongs here and that belongs there, what secularism actually does is redefine uh religion in its own image in the way that it would like to do. Right. And then it contains religion. And so the point is this this becomes so now if you go back to the question, if you asked me to define religion, I'd say something like, you know it's not religion sorry to define secularism I would say something like uh you know secularism is or well, there's two aspects we'll come back to the epistemic aspect the knowledge based aspect but from the politics angle I' would say that secularism is a form of political organization that tries that uh tries to contain and relegate religion to the margins of public to margins of life public life something like that right which would not Generally, be accepted or or thought of, not but would not be thought of as what secularism is. But this is the point. This is where the, this is where the work is being done and has been done quite a bit, um, in terms of just understanding actually what secularism does. And I think we can appreciate the difference between something which merely, you know, take something as a given. So this this is the point. Like when you say it's it's separating church and state or religion and politics you're assuming that it's leaving a thing as it is. It's relieving religion as it is, and all it's doing is saying, you belong in this sphere. But what it's actually doing is redefining the whole thing um, and and and, uh, and and disfiguring it in effect, right? Depending on which religion you ask, you from an Islamic perspective, we don't have this idea of separate religion and politics. So when you impose that, uh, already you're into a process of disfiguration. As opposed to me separation
1: but 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 Osman, um secularism developed uh, in a historical context and it, it developed uh, largely it developed in europe and uh, uh, european civilizations um, experience of religion was that of christianity and so in in some sense christianity formed the template for religion, and religion was defined uh, as a as a, a a set of beliefs which accorded with uh, Christian principles. So I so I suppose um, when Europeans set about separating church from state or religion from state or or pushing religion to the bound to the uh, to the edges of of uh, public life, they their only experience of religion was was uh, the christian faith and and i suppose by the point secularism developed i'm i mean correct me if i'm wrong but, but we're sort of we're, we're we're placing this discussion and debate in sort of 17th and 18th centuries yeah yep. when 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 secularism developed uh, religion in terms of christianity was very much a secular creed is, is am I, am I, if, if that makes sense I
2: yeah, yeah, that's sort of roughly, I mean, this is where the picture is a bit more complicated. So, so if we talk about the historical roots, this is a large part of my research to, go, to study the the, the the deeper roots. You'll find that because, as you said, because uh, secularism is so tied to this issue of enlightenment and just before that, you know, the so-called Age of Reason, the Renaissance and so on and so forth. A lot of the, his- even a lot of the histories of secularism, even academic histories tend to start from the 16th, 17th century uh which is fine from a sense but no idea pops out of nowhere you know um in the middle of history like that there's usually deeper roots and so i try and look at secularism going all the way back to if you can call it the 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 base of western tradition um in the greeks and then in fact probably starting mainly with with the augustine in the third fourth century uh we can come to that but the point the point you're right. Europeans were dealing, or they were Christian by and large, and they're dealing with Christianity. But the 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 complicated part of the story is is two things. First of all, even in Christianity, it's not a monolith, right? And already by part of the picture of the development of secularism itself is one of the major splits in Christianity between, as you know, Catholics and Protestants, right? The Reformation. And so already now, if if you say, well. They're dealing with a Christian model of religion. Which one, right? And so, and so, this is where it's 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 a valid point, but the story is a little bit more complicated because already you've got a split. And although although there are still major overlaps in Protestant and and Catholic conceptions of religion, there are significant differences, and particularly for the story of secularism, we we find that. Protestantism becomes a much more much more the template that uh, secular thinkers and writers use and happen to be in large part uh, than, than Catholicism right?
1: Well is that simply because Catholicism was more intertwined I suppose with uh, the European state whereas Protestantism was more a malleable faith right? It was more personal and and uh, could easily be pushed to the margins uh, of civil life
2: um yes y- yes and maybe no it depends See, this is the point now if we say catholicism historically had a closer connection that's because that there was the only thing that was around Protestant wasn't around before right and so and this so this is the point when you when you work on a history and my my in, in the first chapter of my thesis is going to be the history of secularism or a history of secularism and it's 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 I mean, it's around, it's around 10,000 words, right? And so what you find, if I can do it on the back of an envelope, I start with Augustine, St. Augustine, right? And what, I try and what I try and show, coming off the back of work that's already been done by various scholars, on the one hand, I try and show that the seeds of secularism start very early. So you see with people like St. Augustine, his famous work is The City of God, and in it, he he effectively come up with this distinction between the city of God and the city of man, right the terrestrial realm and the celestial realm um or the city of love, which is the city of God and you know the city of man and so he's already he's already divided and come up with two domains right and and already in this time we have this concept which from where the from where the latin word um, the latin, the Latin word "seculum," from where the English word secular comes, and the "seculum" is effectively um the worldly domain both in spatial and temporal terms what that means is so uh in, in temporal terms in Christianity you're gonna have there's a concept of eternal time and of worldly or secular time and basically that means that the world we live now is the secular realm it's the worldly realm and there's another realm uh obviously it's going to come in the hereafter and that but obviously that that's eternal. It starts without beginning and it continues. So they've got that concept, but, but and also spatially, the world in which we live, the political realm, the world in which we engage, is a worldly realm. And so you've got this distinction already. It's not secular in the modern sense at all. There's a lot of mixing, and obviously they don't have the modern concept, but the seeds are there, and you've got this distinction. And there, and and the point is that for Augustine, there is a a, a sort of a conflict between the two realms, right? And he's not, and he's not really trying to. There's no real aim for, you know, the city of God. Now, the city of God is is not a a terrestrial thing with borders. It's all the people who love God and you know sort of um, dedicate their lives to God and live in the right Christian way, right? But these people, and and the other guy is obviously the opposite. The city of men, but. He doesn't have a concept where you try the people in the city of God try to, you know, influence, manage, organize the city of men. He's happy to say, well, this is the world life and we can only do so much. And you know, the actual the second coming of Christ is what will sort things out. So you can see where the seeds are there. Now, from there, if we sort of jump quickly to uh someone else's very important Aquinas, five, six, seventh century later on. He does something, all that's also very significant from the epistemic angle. So when I say epistemic, I mean knowledge-based. And then, so this, this is the two main branches you need to look at in secularism. One's a sort of uh, issue of reason, knowledge, how do we think, how do we arrive at truth, and the other one's to do with how we organize our society politically, right? So, so Augustine's very important for the latter. Aquinas is quite important for the former in terms of, laying the seeds to differentiate between reason and rationality reason and revelation or reason sorry not rationality reason and faith reason and revelation right and he does it in a number of ways so i'm going into details now um so you see that the seeds are there and then and this is this is why the stories are just a little bit more uh, complex as i was saying you have to look at that history and from this what you find is scholars would do uh, the number of there's a number of stories to tell uh, in terms of the positions that scholars take. Some will say that sec- modern secularism is a modern form of Christianity, in effect, right? It says Christ- Christianity has a core to it, but it historically it has different forms and that's fine. This is, this is Christian saying this, right? So they're not, it's not a criticism. Uh, that this is how Christianity has been and you know, this is one of the modern forms of it. And it's fine. No issues, right? We've come to accommodate that. Others will look at it more in conflictual terms. That no Christianity, um, yes, it may have had the seeds for all this for this development, but you know, secularism is not Christian in any sense, and it has come by, by conflicting with uh, what would be a more genuine Christian way of life. Um, and I think the story is probably you know in between there somewhere that the the seeds were definitely there, but at the same time. Um, Modern secularism is very different to anything that even Aquinas or Augustine would recognise and probably approve of, right? So uh, there is an element of conflict, and there is an element of um, modern secular forces making making decisions as to you know what religion is. Coming back to the question, and not simply going off what it was, in whether in Catholicism or in Protestantism, right? And so I think, at some level, we need to look at the modern secular um, as a force in its own right, right, and not something that just rises organically from any version of Christianity per se.
1: But if we were to fast forward to, uh, I don't know, European Enlightenment society, um, why does secularism become a feature and, and and a fairly and a very key feature of that process? Of rethinking political organisation in in Europe.
2: Um, well, I mean, the modern period has certain realities of its own that become very very important.
1: Hmm. So, so talk talk us through talk us through those stages. So, okay, if,
2: if we again back of the envelope, if we if we um move on from what I said about Augustine and then Aquinas, and there's a few other key figures um who developed this, and it's not just ideas. Obviously, there's a lot of ground realities. Um, that that are key in the picture, but in the modern period, I think the person who's probably most influential is John Locke. Um, at least this is how the story is told. Um, so we're talking now, you know, mid sixteenth, mid seventeenth century, so the mid sixteen hundreds, um, and now this period is very. There's a lot going on, right? Uh, We have had a reformation. Uh, Luther has come and gone. He's very significant also to the picture. We probably can't talk too much about that. Um,
1: Well, Well, let's look at Martin Luther. Is it fair to say that Luther's challenge to Catholicism also came with a redefinition, I suppose, of religion? Was Martin Luther the first seed in this process of secularization uh, and did he call for a separation of religion from state
2: he doesn't he, yeah what it, it was what the Reformation does is uh inadvertently most you know, unwittingly uh for, forward the process of secularization in a in a very intense way, but he's not he's not someone who argues for secularism is that that vocabulary is not there yet in the modern form and um and, and and even when he does things that look very secular, he's still... So, for example, um, or let's talk about this very briefly. Uh, the Reformation does a few things. Number one, it splinters Christendom, right? And so politically, politically, we're, for the last five, six, seven centuries, I'd say even a millennia, one millennium, sorry, uh, you, you, we've been having this very conflictual relationship between the papacy the pope and the emperor right or the emperors and the kings and the different principalities of europe right um and it but it's a relationship in which the pope carried significant authority and power and sometimes he, he was more powerful um than the than the emperor at other times it was a bit less right so it was it's a moving it's it's a it's an organic process sometimes it's here sometimes it's, there. it's it's oscillating, but still Christendom is quite strong. What the Protestant Reformation does is it splinters Christianity right down the middle, massive uh you know so in, you know in Muslim terms we say of course the division of the Ummah in a sense right and so with the splintering number one, you politically weakened uh Christendom or Christianity and not and it's, and it's not just into two. It's not just into Catholicism and Protestants. And what happens is he's, he calls for reform. Others also call for reform, right? And then they have disagreements amongst themselves. And because one of his main uh, points of calling for reform, one of his main sort of cries or calls is that there needs to be a return to scripture. We need to, we need to get out of this mediation through the Pope and through other people. Every Christian, can interpret the scripture, every Christian can go back and have personal relationship with God, right? Now, whatever the.
1: Yeah, but, but is that not, not a challenge to political authority?
2: Um, it, it depends on how you, wh- what position you take on political authority. So, what he did was that's his position, right? And, and, and my point there was that, that that allows or that facilitates a lot of other reformers who he disagrees with. And so you have a splintering, a sense of it's not just Catholicism and post- Protestantism. You've got numerous reformers and they all don't agree with each other and they all, you know, uh, there's a massive polemic amongst all of them. But when it comes to the politics, Luther is much more uh, amicable with the authorities in Germany and with the authorities elsewhere in Rome and, and other parts of Europe. He, and this is, in other words, he is very secular in the way he deals with the political authorities, right? He sort of leaves them to their work. And he focuses much more on that. And that ties in with his theology, because his theology is religion is a personal uh relationship with God. Um and 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 although he's not explicitly sort of going, you know, it's a it's a private affair, you know, full stop, which is what sort of it becomes, um, but he, very clearly he he uh he facilitates that in a in a very strong way. Um and so, and so he doesn't. He, he doesn't challenge political authorities. He, he keeps, he's very much focused on challenging the religious authorities because his, his whole crusade, if you will, is against the Pope and against Catholicism. Um, but the point is, what this leads to is obviously there is violence. There's you know what they so called walls of religion. which is a certain way of framing it. You know, arguably not very accurate. It's half most of it's about politics, but obviously religion is used as it always is um you've got, so by the time that John Locke comes to the picture he 's dealing with a state in which Europe is in a mess not you know even previously it was in a mess, but it's a new, it's in a different type of mess right where there's there's wars there's English civil wars going on for for twenty years, and he witnesses these wars from sixteen forty to sixteen sixty um there's and and what's what basically happened in each different country say England france Germany is somewhere Catholicism is more popular. And so it's in authority, other places, Protestantism. And wherever one side is in power, it's sort of repressing the other side, the so-called minority. And in fact, this is where the concept of minority also comes to the fore and is developed. But John Locke is looking at this and he's now thinking, how the hell do we, he's a, he's a philosopher, right? He's not a theologian. He's Protestant, but he's not a theologian. He's doing political philosophy and other types of philosophy And he's thinking, how do we manage this situation, right? And that's typical, that's representative of a number of other thinkers before and after, you know. But he's thinking, how how do how do we manage this? And what he does is effectively he goes, well, look, there's this massive debate you guys are having about orthodoxy and salvation and this and that. We can't have this, you know. There's no solution to these questions. And effectively he says, we have to privatize these. We have to... Everyone can decide, and everyone is, every man is orthodox to himself, right? And, and but when you come to public life, they said this is why Locke is sort of explicitly secularizes is like this is this is the first, uh, probably the first, um, explicit theorizing of modern secularism as opposed to older forms that we may recognize, um, in retrospect. So he's effectively like every man is orthodox to himself. Uh, you can do what you like, but in the public sphere, we're really going to have to, you know, leave these matters um, aside. He's not, he's not, he's not willing to give that full sort of um, the full rights to atheists, for example, or even to Catholics, right? As a as a Protestant, so there are rough edges, but um, this is probably the first area where that happens, and and therefore, you know, after that, a lot of the thinkers, people like Rousseau. Um, Immanuel uh, Kant in Germany, these people who developed these ideas quite a bit, but it's all on this model, basically, that religion becomes sort of a private affair, we understand religion in very Protestant terms, as a personal relationship with God, the matter of morals and certain beliefs, and interiority, very important, very clear that. It's about, it's about your internal relationship and spirituality and so on and so forth. Um, and, you know and then and then by the time we reach the enlightenment it's this is already quite um, this is quite already developed because the enlightenment 18th century uh, it already has these resources and it sort of formalizes them and they become much more mainstream right
1: okay so uh, to what extent was the enlightenment a a product of this linear so you you've carved out I, I understand you know it's it's not as clean-cut as this but you know, you've got the Protestant Reformation which uh, from which follows uh, a very deadly conflict across Europe, um, uh, whether it's uh, the Thirty Years' War or, or various conflicts that raged around Europe over political authority, and, and most notably here in Britain, you've got the English Civil War, uh, from which someone like Locke arrives, and, and Locke has now been informed by the Protestant faith and, and he sees this world around him and, and he tries to find a, a philosophical approach to dealing with difference and, and I suppose he comes to this fundamental view that secularism or, or a, a form of government which leaves these contentious, uh, unwinnable debates to the personal self is, is the way forward. To what extent does that discussion lead to uh, the greater the greater phenomenon that we now know as the as the Enlightenment, the European Enlightenment?
2: Um. Yeah, as you said, the story is is complicated in certain areas. It's not as linear as I've told it. Um, The Enlightenment, as I said, I mean, it depends when you people date it differently. But if we live in the eighteenth century, a lot of these ideas are really. They're there, like they've been developed. They're not mainstream, but they've been developed. They're being applied in certain areas, and by the time the Enlightenment comes around, um, they're they're very. It's uh, it's very easy. It's a very easy way out. So if we look at someone like uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, for example, in France, very influential. Um, he's he's someone who because what, what starts to happen by the Enlightenment, yeah, I think this is probably a good way of defining the Enlightenment in, in, in another way. By the time the Enlightenment comes around or in the Enlightenment, you, you have even strong anti-religion voices, right? Which is new, right? In Christendom, you don't have anti-religion, anti-Christian voices that just happen, right? In part, you probably be killed for <laughs> for doing that. But generally, it's a, it's a different way of life. People People may not be happy with their local church, but no one's atheist uh, in the sense of an atheist movement, right? But by the time of the Enlightenment, particularly in France, we have what they're called the philosophes. Um they are explicitly anti religion and they come into attention the authorities and they get in trouble and whatnot, but it's there. And people like Rousseau are somewhere in the middle. And you find those who were influential, uh Kant, Rousseau and others were generally the people that were in the middle. But but being in the middle, they utilized secularism or the secular sort of ideas very easily. And that's what actually placed them in the middle. But what shows that the idea was really um, quite commonplace is for them, it was more something taken, as, taken for granted. Right, so, so what makes someone like Rousseau so, so secular, even though he, he comes to the defense of Christianity and religion against the philosophes, is that when he does his political philosophy, his social philosophy, his political theory, it's secular and unannounced. You see what I mean? Like, he, what he does is secular. We would look at it and go, he's doing secular philosophy. I mean, philosophy becomes secular by then, anyway. But he, as opposed to, so the difference would be, you know, he's, he, political, he, to, he, he writes, for example, a discourse on the origins of inequality, and there's no references to the Bible. Right? He'll give it some, some sort of, you know, Marginal status here or there, Uh, but that's that's how we will do it. He'll come up with his social contract, very influential theory, social contract, general will, and you know again, this this is this is what's so secular about it. Religion has a nominal, symbolic role to play in his entire social and political theory, right? And he doesn't need to announce that. And he's doing this while coming, while 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 arguing against the materialists particularly in France, the philosophes, and, and you know, come to the defense of Christianity. This is how, this is how it is. Likewise, Kant, Kant says, Kant's got a famous quote, he says, I had to deny knowledge to make room for faith. Right? I had to deny knowledge in order to make room for faith. In other words, I'm, my focus is on making room for faith. He's actually trying to uphold religion. But by this time, right, Kant dies in 1804, so, but by this time religion is already understood in secular terms so so my my reading would be that the enlightenment doesn't doesn't the enlightenment just furthers and embeds secularism more but already by then secularism is quite uh it, it's it's taken hold and a lot of the thing, and philosophy is is secular by then you know in a strong way you can't engage in these rational debates and discussions in the academy of the time w- without providing naturalistic reasons for whatever you're talking about, right? You look at any debates in the 17th, 18th century and you have to, if you don't provide natural reasons, you're counted as a theologian and you're not really given the same sort of uh, respect.
1: Now, Osman, tell me about the French Revolution and the American Declaration of Independence. Is it fair to say these political movements come out of this atmosphere of secularism uh, that has been generated in Europe through this philosophical debate? Is it a fair summary to say that these philosophical debates really led to uh, these new forms of political organisations being established in in two very important states?
2: Yeah, yeah, Uh, with a few qualifiers, but yeah, roughly you can look at it like that. And I think that what, what they change is they bring to the fore a form of political organization that is much more explicitly secular, right? So it's one thing to have, it's one thing to have for thinkers to give theories and publish books, right? It's another thing to actually implement them in, in, in life, in the politics of the society, right? So the French revolution, obviously you want to get rid of the, you want to get rid of the monarchy, you want to get rid of the the church, right? And so you come, you come with a form of government that, Uh, is secular in the way that they understand secularism. And likewise in 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 American, but of course the models are are slightly different because of the different um, historical trajectories of of both both places.
1: Now let's understand that. I mean, the French Revolution is very explicitly a radical one. It does away with religion. It kills the king, God's representative on earth. Uh, It it does away with religious iconology. And so it's very explicitly anti-religion. Whereas the American uh, Revolution, the American War of Independence, and its declaration uh, comes from a different perspective, I suppose. It's not anti-religion, uh, even though, as you said, it remains secular. Um, is that a lot to do with uh, the uh, American settlers who came from Europe? I mean, these settlers were evangelical in, in their religious observances. and in many ways, did that have an impact on the type of government uh, they decided to uh, develop as a result of kicking out uh, the British colonialists? Or And, and secondly, I suppose, it, if that is the case, then why did they move towards a secular government? I mean, if, if they are um, ardent followers of religion and of faith, why didn't their political organisation reflect that religious observance i can understand the french secularism but it's a bit more hazy why the americans decided for a secular approach to government
2: yeah the the thing is this actually shows us um that there is and it's always the case there's there is organic and localized um what's the word Not, not motivations but uh causes to any historical development and because the because the trajectory is different, the realities are different, you get you know various different forms of what otherwise maybe you know put together and they would under a larger title that's the same in this case secularism. But what you find is there's 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 a, a big role played here by the form of religion in these places, right. Like, and, and this is so important, and there's obviously big lessons in this for Muslims, and the Quran is clear on this as well, you know, in terms of addressing uh, addressing believers and calling to their attention how they might be pushing people away from the religion, from, from, from the deen, uh, by how they um, act. Now, uh, and I mean this not on an individual level, but on a bigger level, so... Uh, the level of society, the level of state. So, generally speaking, across Europe, Europe, you know, if you start from the 15th century, 16th, just before all these events happen, Europe is a very religious place. And people don't, people believe in God, people, you know, but the, the church is becoming, um, you know, very lax, the church is becoming oppressive, uh, not in becoming, you know, these things uh, happening throughout. Again, um, even go all the way back to Augustine. Um, there's there's different levels. Of, there's different ways in which the church and the religion is operating in different places, right? Um, and you find that some places where the reaction, where secularism, was of a much more um, ardent type, like France. Uh, is not is not um, coincidental to the fact that the way the church was repressing in those places was was uh, played a big part in that, right? And so and so because in Europe you have this you know Catholic Protestant fights this that the church and in and and one of the big factors was when the cha- when these sort of when people sought to reform the church because this is what this is how it started off as people just wanted to reform the church they had no issues with God they had no issues with religion per se, I want to reform the church. Right. And, but when they're not heard, you get things like Luther and then he, he doesn't want to just reform it anymore. He wants to get rid of it. and come not something new and so on and so forth. But in some places, the, the, the church, the representatives of religion were more open for reform. Right. Like in England, uh, other places, they were more adamant to remain as they were. And so, you know there were in, and and the point is it's not adamant to remain on their creed, adamant to remain doing the oppression, doing all the things that they were doing, right? And so the reaction was likewise. And so you see that this is more the case in France, but when we look at the US, and you go across the Atlantic, it's a very different reality altogether. It's a new place. People have come there, and what defines that place is, as you said, independence from, from you know who they who they're looking at as. People that uh, are coming from overseas, All right? And so it's a new—it's a new place. It's a new—it's uh, a new genesis. And you're right, right from the start, religion plays a big role in, in in America until now. Even until now, in the if you read the literature on secularism, one of the big questions that people look at, on particularly on the question of secularization as a historical process, uh, is. Is, is why would we have this massive anomaly, they look at it as an anomaly, in America, all right? Because according to, secu- according to the secularization thesis, the more uh, a place becomes modern, industrialized, uh, rationalized, the, the less uh, or the more religion should wane away and decline, right? But America creates a big problem for this thesis because it's, it's sort of the opposite. Right uh, but, but that's because the thesis is wrong, and it's very crude um, more recent uh work that's been done on that is is a bit better in trying to understand the thing but but yes in in some um because the historical realities are different in these places, the way in which the church responds is different, the political realities are different. We've ended up with um they're all secular, I don't think anyone would doubt that. But we do get these different forms of secularism.
1: Now, now what is the relationship between secularism and liberalism?
2: Um, I'd say they go hand in hand, to be honest. Um, if we understand liberalism, and you, you, this is probably your area more than mine, uh, if we understand liberalism as an attempt to, or as tied to these notions of freedom, right, freedom of opinion and freedom of conscience and freedom of this and that, um, I I draw the link in the way that it's important to understand these freedoms in the context in which they arise. So when it's said freedom of belief and freedom of conscience, um, in part what's being said in, in context of the history is the church has no right to determine anything. And a person can, if a person wants it, can be an atheist, right? In other words, this emancipation, is first and foremost from religion and God before it's emancipation from anything else, right? In the in the context that it takes place. And that's why it's so closely tied to secularism, because that's that's what secularism is also trying to facilitate. Um, and and same thing, like if you ask about, you know, the major thinkers of liberalism, John Locke is John Locke is there as well. Um and in his various tracks, Rousseau's there and Kant's there. So so for me, you can't really separate these two. We could ask the question of sort of what comes first, but I don't think uh, historical developments, whether in thought or in political form, happen in this sort of way where it's clean cut, this is first and then that comes. That really happens together. And, and, and because we label things secular, liberal, you know, capital, even capitalism. I think is part of the story that you can't really separate. This is just ways in which we try and understand different aspects of it. But I think in the bigger picture, they're they're really hand in glove.
1: Now, secularism has a number of variations, Osman. Uh, we've got Anglo-Saxon secularism here in Europe, and we've got French secularism, and and they're of a different type. Now, you've discussed the history behind that, uh, but. Uh, uh, I'm interested to, to to really understand why that persists uh, in Britain, for example, uh, as a as a standard. Members of the clergy still remain in the House of Lords; they have permanent positions in the House of Lords. And although religion still remains on the edges of British society, I think it's fair to say religion does have a role, and um, it's still impacts upon some of the institutions and on on popular culture Uh, maybe to a lesser degree today than say 10 or 20 years back but but it still does and as you said in America uh, Anglo-Saxon secularism has really had a uh, a major impact and still impedes or impacts on uh, major pieces of legislation just think about the abortion debate uh, in America or indeed, uh, the debate in the United Kingdom, in in Northern Ireland, about abortion, uh, religion still plays a, a very substantive role in in deciding uh, how to determine that particular law. So, how do you how do you untangle this these variants of um, of secularism? Yeah,
2: yeah, that's right. There, there are. There are different forms of secularism in different parts of the Western world. Um, I I would tend to understand again, if as I said, if we define secularism as you know a form of containment of religion, uh, then what we have is different different societies based on their own historical, cultural um, trajectories and realities are open to different levels of religion so they all want to contain it right so you are not going to have anything where uh christianity is the you know main source of the way of life for instance that's key right uh, but now how much of it do you allow this is why i think containment is a good idea or relegation is a good idea because it's, a, it's always a question how much how, how much containment how much should we put to the side and how much can we allow and that goes back to the history and the culture, and which who's the minority sect, and how it just how it's developed, and because what what tends to happen is you you, you come to a certain very contingent um, setup and organisation in terms of how we understand secularism, right, and its relationship to religion. Whether they're completely opposed, as the French understand them, or they're much more um, they can go a bit more hand in hand, as you explained with the. English and likewise in Australia, I think Australia's got a very English model of secularism, and, and and America's even further down the track, right? So, but that's just a different degree of containment, I'd I'd say, uh, but it's significant because you do have these different models. Uh, but I think if we understand it in this way, you can stand that they're all they're all secular, no doubt, um, but they're just allowing for different nominal, still very nominal representations of, of religion. In most cases, nominal and symbolic. And it's not just that. There's more to it, right? So, uh, when when secularism travels, when it travelled to the Muslim world and the other parts of the third world, because they're secular as well, and obviously over there it was imposed. Whereas in Europe, it's it's to a large degree more organic. Uh, when it was imposed by colonial fiat, you will see that there we've we've got even different, even other forms that are, that are that are not only not existent in the um, in the West, but would not be acceptable in the West. So, for instance, if we look at the Turkish model, um, you mentioned French, uh, laicite. In 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 Turkey, they call it uh, in the literature. They call it laiklik, right? It's it's basically the Turkish version of laicism. Um, but the Turkish model, and this is another thing that is is and there's there's quite a bit of literature on this. It's trying to understand again. Everyone understands Turkey is secular. But what sort of secularism is it where, uh, you know, so in Turkey what happens is, and more generally in the Muslim world, you have ministries of religion, right? Now the idea of the Awqaf, the Wazarat al-Awqaf in Arabic, right? And you have this in in every Muslim country, right? Um, And um, if you the idea of a ministry or a department of religion in even in England would be unthinkable right if <laughs> it would be blasphemous from a, from a religious perspective and so and so but still that's understood to be secularism and I think again, this is why the idea of containment is helpful it's the same thing in Turkey they want to contain religion right the, the Kamalist model which we still have very much sought to contain Islam and the way he did it however is instead of separating the state from religion was to make the state more explicitly try and contain that religion. And again, as we said, even in the West, it's not really a separation per se. It's just different forms of management, different forms of, um, Foucault's idea of governmentality is is used here a lot. And I think it's quite accurate. It's a form of how, um, how you try and manage and organize, um, politics and, and society um, in a particular way, right? So, so, so you can, you've got these different forms. And I said in the Muslim world, it's still understood as secularism, but it's very different. It's very, very different. The state actually does, it explicitly tries, tries to manage religion and in many cases, not just within the country, but even internationally. Um, but I think this is, as I said, the way I would understand them is you, know, you want to contain Um, religion and you do it there's different ways in which you can do it and i
1: want to finish by maybe discussing exploring uh, that angle a bit further so we've had we have experienced a process of secularization and as you said it's a very state-led containment of of religion Um, but also we noticed there has been a a backlash uh, uh, of this approach of secularization uh, and in a number of countries and most notably Turkey um, uh, but but a number of Muslim countries we're now seeing a a growing call for some form of Islamization of uh, those Muslim societies. Um, uh, In Turkey you know you have um, a very explicit uh, backlash right with a, a government that has sought to not question, I suppose, the secular foundations of the state, but but at least push back against some of the um, more draconian measures that come with such secularisation. Um, so, so I suppose my my question is, um, well, my first question is, how deeply rooted um, is uh, this process of secularising the Muslim Ummah, and 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 maybe linked to that, um, uh, can you give us some thoughts on? the uh the the backlash uh that we can palpably see towards that process of secularization
2: mm-hmm. um i, I think what the main thing that differentiates uh the models of secularism in the, in the west as opposed to the east is the fact that in the east in the muslim world in particular it was imposed right and so and so and it was imposed in a particular way you sort of got a proxy elite both politically and intellectually, you're know, these elites who are your mechanism through which you impose this right now, what that means is these elites who are a very small minority, although they're very influential they they adopt secularism in a much more indigenous or self you know self-propelled way in the masses, however, and this is a major difference, the masses in the West are secular like they that you can't conceive you won't conceive of you know a backlash against secularism in the West, right? Uh, in, in at least in our current time, and it's not foreseeable in the future. So, or there are there are some Christian voices, I should say, even in the academy, uh, but they're considered to be doing theology and not really social science or philosophy. Anyway, that's it's a it's a fringe voice. But in the Muslim world, when we talk about the masses, secularism, the imposition of secularism, and other Western forms of life, have always been it's always been an uncomfortable. Um, you know, status quo. It's always been a tension-filled status quo. And the Muslims, and therefore the point is that although, yes, I would say secularism as a political form of organisation is very embedded in the Muslim world, no doubt. And even the idea has found currency, but I don't think it's ever sat deeply. It's not, it hasn't taken root in the Muslims as, as a people, as peoples, right? And that's why we have... There are movements and calls um, against uh, or for Islam, for you know, for 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 implementation of Islam that's much more in line with Islam's own conception of what what you know religion, quote unquote, is meant to be and how it's meant to be um, part and parcel of a comprehensive way of life, you know, not politics on one side, religion on one side, and state separate from mosque and so on and so forth. So, so I think there's that's a big difference in the Muslim world. Um, and uh, and and you know those efforts continue, and and I think this is it's, this is also why it's very important for us to understand uh, a lot of this discussion and, and a lot of the what, what secularism is about and what it tries to do, because for instance, as we said, it's a type of containment, um, and there's different ways in which you can do it. So we want to be careful. We don't want to be fooled when we go, for, just to take Turkey as an example, when we go from, say, a Kamalist model that's closer to the French, even more, it's even more, um, it's even more French than the French, if you will, uh, to, to, let's say, we go to what Erdogan explicitly calls for, which would be something closer to England, right? Maybe a bit more, maybe a bit further down the spectrum, maybe more American, or even a bit more, but it's still secularism, right? And you see, you see. so when we understand that that there are different forms, but it's still within, Clearly, a, a, an approach that is relegating religion and using it in a very nominal and symbolic sense, right, and in a very private sense, um, then we we wouldn't be fooled. But if we if, if we're not, then but if we don't understand this, then we say, oh well, you know, the Kamala's version is secular, but Erdogan's Islamic. Erdogan's an Islamist; he's just moderate, right? So I think uh, it's very important to understand understand these these distinctions. But of course, the Muslim world has, has its own realities and they're very different from Europe. Um, and that's why, as you said, there are these there are movements and calls for what some people call Islamization. And I think we need to think about how to get that process right, how to further that process. Um, and a lot of these discussions are very important in that.
1: And Osman, it, I think it's right to say that secularism or the process of secularisation isn't an organic process in the Muslim world. In many respects, it's been forced upon the Muslims, not just by dictators and presidents, but also by the West. I think it's it's uh, correct to say that the West has a, uh, a, a plan to secularise the Muslim countries. There was a recent NSA report which suggested that America is trying to promote a Martin Luther type figure in the Muslim world uh, to, uh, to to promote or to become a catalyst for the promotion of secularization. So I suppose um, we've got this process taking place and, and um, uh, it's a, a process which is forced upon the Muslim community, but of course, Many Muslims are embroiled in sectarian conflicts. Just think about ISIS when it came on the scene; it pointed its guns at Muslims, right? And it killed a number of uh, people who did not subscribe to its own version or interpretation of Islam. And so, if you if you notice, there's been a uh, a, a gradual uh, increase in violence between Muslims and Muslim groups and Muslim uh, denominations and uh, if the rationale behind secularisation in Europe was to try to reconcile the irreconcilable, the differences that existed between Catholics and Protestants and other smaller denominations, isn't that the um, a similar picture now in, in the Muslim world? And, and so the, the secular salesman uh may have some success in in this uh, really bloody environment
2: no i think well that's 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 the general thrust that's sort of the um that's the sales pitch right that secularism is a way in which to deal with plural societies pluralist societies and modernity has given us you know these diverse pluralist societies that are here to stay and so if we need if, if we are to manage this diversity of world views of religions then we need some sort of neutral platform, and secularism gives that to us. And that's probably the, the, a major aspect of the discussion that we haven't touched upon today for lack of time. Uh, which w- w- this aspect where secular, secularity, as an epistemology, claims um, a neutral position from which it generates knowledge and arrives at truth, and from a political perspective, uh, a neutral. Uh, form of political organization or a neutral state that you know it just manages everyone manages manages the difference because it's coming from this particular neutrality and that's a bit that's also a big part of my research and my thesis to critique this idea that there are any positions of neutrality so so again this is why it's important to understand this um, secularism does make that claim this is that is its major claim to being the best way all right and obviously that will accept as they do with democracy, it's got its problems, it's got its issues, but it's the best of, you know, the various forms we have. It's the same thing with secularism. But if you ask, well, why is it the best? Generally, apart from, you know, historical narratives about how religious religions lead to violence, all of which are discredited, right, because secularism has led to, you know, even more, if anything, uh, more magnitudes of violence in the 20th century, in the 19th century. So apart from that, the actual philosophical, um, or ideological claim is this idea of neutrality. And, and so, but that too has been shown and this is continues to be shown to be not true. It's just not true. There's no, you don't, you you cannot come from some neutral perspective. Every perspective is, um, contingent, uh, ideological coming from a particular world. And that's clear with secularism, right? It's, It's, it's secularism is liberal. Liberalism is not a neutral ideology, right? And so so, so if we understand that, number one, um, from Muslim apologetics or from a Muslim Dao perspective, that's very important. It's a very strong argument against secularism and, you know, in, in at least critiquing secularism and initiating that discussion for particularly Muslim communities in the West, as opposed to being influenced thereby because, you know, you, you sort of were deceived by the posturing of the secular as neutral, which happens in the Muslim world. As I said, the, the elite, that minority elite in the Muslim world, this is what they believe. They believe that, uh, you know, w- w- religion is not able to manage these things because, you know, it's backward or it's uh, very particular and it's not able to do what secularism can. But, you know, history, secularism is now 300 years old, at least in the, in, the, in Europe and you know, the, the results are before our eyes, none of those claims hold water. Um, and, and so, although coming to the question, the core of the question, although it is said the thrust of the argument for the Muslim world is the same thing, you know, when you've got Sunni and Shia, Iran, Saudi Arabia, you've got all these things and all these problems, um, and therefore most the Muslim world, and the diagnosis is that the Muslim world is not sufficiently secular. It's not sufficiently secularized, and the solution, therefore, is to become more secular. That's easily um, that's easily sort of um, repudiated by showing that, first of all, there is no lack of conflict in Europe, and and in fact, it, it led to it led to more conflict in the 19th century, colonialism all over the world, and the 20th century world wars and whatnot. Um, and so, it's really a matter of just. Showing that the, the the analysis is is not correct. It's not about religion. It's not religions that cause these conflict. There are various political, national, um, ethnic based. Various. It's multifaceted in terms of why you have conflict. And but of course, for me, the more important point is uh, the onus is on them to try and show why they should be considered neutral. In what way are you neutral? Right. It's 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 most. States in the West are secular liberal, or in fact, secularism is not, doesn't have to be liberal. You know, the the socialist states are also, or the communist states as they were also secular, right? In a sense. And so you can have that, but it has to be secular something. Particularly if we aren't secularism in the popular understanding of just separation, it's just a negation, right? It's like, okay, religion stay on the side. Okay, but how are you gonna manage society? how are you going to organize society? Like, how, how, What's your economics? What's your what's your political framework? What's your social framework? You can't, it's not going to be based on a negation, right? It's an obvious point. You can't just say, religion, you stay here in the corner and let us take care of society. Okay, fine. But how are you going to take care of society? Oh, we're liberal. Okay, but liberalism is an ideology, right? It's a particular worldview. Or we're communist and that's a particular worldview. And so it's just, it's sort of a, it's a sleight of hand and how it's become so, uh, effective and you know convincing to people is is something to probably to be looked at as well. Um, but but yeah, I think in the Muslim world, it's it, although there is a, there is this danger that it goes down. I don't. I, don't but I think because you're right, there are efforts, there are systematic efforts to do that, but they've been around for decades. And I think what this shows is the fact that they're still still around and they're being intensified. Is that the resistance in the Muslim world has been quite strong and continues to be strong. And I think, therefore, the, these type of understanding can help us to really elevate the discussion amongst Muslims in our contexts, and and also and politi- particularly in our political um, resistance and our political uh, revival in the Muslim world. Uh, they can play a, an important role.
1: Osman Bader, JazakAllah Khair. Thank you for your for your time today and. Uh... Uh, my sleep beckons here on a Friday evening, and your day uh, is has just begun. I, I understand uh, in Australia. And... Yes,
2: it has. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure to be in the podcast, and yes, uh, the day has begun here. It's a weekend, so.
1: Okay. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. Wa,
2: wa alaikum